Welcome to the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so you can become who you were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith, and if you haven't already, make sure you share this podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at jbirdfit. Today, we have licensed marriage and family therapist, Talia Bambola. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I don't have a swanky background right now. I'm from my oh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I wouldn't call this swanky. This is, we're live, by the way. Okay. All this is fencing that I got at Lowe's. Yes. And then I just tacked it up in my basement. Looks cool, but. I like it. It's not real. So. It's It's not real. It's fake. Absolutely fake. The, the rest of this is my home gym and yeah. basement. So. Right. Isn't that just the frame? It's like the perfect uh-huh. thing. And then you see around it and you're like, oh my gosh. So Talia, thank you for joining us today for the 21 day self-love challenge. Today is day nine and it's also Monday. So we're just yeah. getting started with all this. Dive right in. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and who you help. So my name is Talia Bombola. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist and I also work as a coach slash mentor. I never liked the title coach because I feel like it didn't properly encapsulate all that we do. So I think mentors more of my role. And that would go for women in business who are noticing that their self-worth is really affecting their net worth. And that also goes for women and men in romantic relationships or who are struggling to find a romantic relationship. Those are a few of the hats I wear. I'm also a college professor. I have three podcasts. And so, I you, so you're super busy. Up. Yeah, I don't know why I brought that all on myself, uh, but right. all of it is interwoven to clinical psychology. So at least it all connects. And that keeps me very busy. So I feel like those are all the titles that are relevant for today. And I think you asked what got me started on this and why I do it. So years ago, I had a really transformative experience with my own personal therapist. And as many therapists have this background, I thought to myself, if I could give that to at least one person, then my life would be fulfilling. I've given it to many more than just one person. But knowing the value of what it's like to sit across from somebody who gets it, and who wants to help and who wants to understand and who can empathize with the struggle, whether that's dating, self-love, confidence and assertiveness, those are the other two focuses that I have. I think it's a gift to be able to sit with somebody who can understand and have that patience and empathy because family and friends, they do, but to a certain level, like you can only go to them so many times before they're going to start to give you the same answer or feedback. And you're like, Maybe I just wanted someone to commiserate with, or right. you know, maybe sometimes you do want the advice. And they're just commiserating. You're like, no, I don't want to wallow. Let's move through it. So to be able to be in that role, I think has been wonderful to see all my clients transform. So I love what I do. And it's so hard because we want to rely on the people around us. And sometimes that can be a really great disconnect or divide when we go to somebody who is close yes. to us because they just don't have the emotional capacity to help you navigate whatever it is that you're trying to navigate at yeah. this time. Yeah. So speak to that a little bit more when somebody's in that situation, how can they navigate that with their friends, their family, their partner, or even coworkers? Yeah. So I think if you are able to know what you're wanting or not wanting either way from an interaction, you can lead with that. So if you're wanting somebody to support you or to empathize or to validate, gosh, that's so terrible that this happened. They sound like they're the worst ever. That person totally sucks for blowing you off. If you want them to be more emotional with you, then let them know ahead of time. Like, hey, if you have five or 10 minutes, I'd love to vent. I'd love for you to help be on my team with this. Or, hey, do you have five to 10 minutes? I'd love for your feedback or opinion on how to get past this and know that 
whoever you're going to does mean well for the most part, but they're filtering it through the lens that person cares about you. That's different from a therapist or a coach that you might work with. We care about you, but in a totally different way. We don't have a vested interest in how it turns out because you're not going to be in our life in the personal life sense. If I'm a parent going to or my child's coming to me, then I have a vested interest, whether I am blind to it or not. I have a vested interest in how that works out because they're in my life on a day to day basis or a coworker, or a friend versus somebody you hire where it's like the container of the sessions. The advice is like per session or the coaching is per session. Do with it what you will. It's no skin off my back if you don't take the advice that you're paying me for. So right. tell the person what you're wanting and be open and understanding that what they're telling you is they're trying to give you their best. But if it's not, I know who I would go to for some things and I know how I wouldn't go to for some other things because it's just not their skill set. Right. Be able to ask people within their skill set if there's uh, empathy and validation that you've gotten from somebody before, go to that person when you want that. Don't go to that person when you want solutions. Go to the other person who you know might give you a solution. So staying in each of your lanes, I would say. Yeah, that's so huge, especially because we want to be able to cultivate a really healthy support system mm-hmm. and recognize that they may not have the emotional capacity you're looking for or yes. the guidance to give to you. Yes. Or, and right, that question of, hey, do you have five or 10 minutes for me? Mm-hmm. That's They'll huge just in the beginning. On them. Yeah. <laughs> so many people you like walk in. And I, before I was a therapist, I think as a teenager, obviously, years and years ago, we're all guilty of this because that's how we are with our friends. We'll walk in and be like, you never believe what happened. And we're like, oh, juicy gossip, pour me the tea. As we get older, we do have to ask for that check-in or permission. We don't realize how busy, even sometimes growing up, our parents may have been, but they would drop whatever ideally for us to be there. That's not always the case. And that's not always realistic. So being able to ask and then let, let the other person know, yes, you might have to wait, but wouldn't you rather have them be fully present? So you really have to ask yourself, what's the most important thing that this person is fully present when they're with me? That might not be the time that you want it to be. And that's a lot of the couple's work that I do, that your ideal timing for something is probably not your partner's ideal timing. I don't have my own relationship. I'm like, I just take the kids, take the dog, whatever I want to be done when he gets home. And he's, I would also break. I don't want to, I don't want to be dumped on right when I get home. So you have to navigate. This is pressing for me. Could you make this important in your life too? I think it's a good question to ask. This is a really important thing that I want to talk to you about. When would be a good time for me to bring up this important item that you'll be focused and then wait for that person to give you an answer? Hopefully they give you an actual time frame. Right. No, and you just bumped up against conflict that happens so often in relationships is somebody comes home, they get hit right when they come in the door and it's just like, wait a minute, what about me? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm not even the person yet. Yeah. I just got off work. I went through traffic. I did all these things. I stopped at the store, you know, and then all of a sudden, boom, here I am. And it's, whoa, just 10 minutes, please. I need transition time. Yeah. I need to go from work me to home partner, parent, whatever me. And knowing that getting ahead of it too, the communication that you were touching on, that can happen even if you're early on in dating and you're going on a date with somebody and you had a rough day, instead of going right to the date, give yourself some transition time. I'm sure your date would rather you, they'd rather you be on time, obviously, but I'm sure they'd rather you be 15 minutes late and actually enjoy the date than show up rushed right from a really tough day at work to whatever happy hour you're meeting at for the sake of being on time, but you're in a miserable mood the whole time. It's not really worth it. I want a certain version of you to show up and I might need to be patient for when that version of you shows up. And it's so huge. I'm a former first responder. When we come home and we're sitting in the driveway and we're out there for 10 or 15 minutes, we're not avoiding you. 
we're trying to self-regulate. We're yeah. trying to take whatever information that we've taken in the entire day, all the trauma, the experiences, the hardship, the, the difficulties. And there are some good things every now and again, but sure. we're not going to everybody's happy no. day. Like that's not what's happening. So right. Right. they need that transition time just to, and you don't have to be a first responder for that, obviously. No, but it helps. My partner's a yeah. first responder. So I got that the other day. He's we're at his nephew's birthday party. And, he's, and then there's 86 year old woman like died on arrival and all of us are like horrified. And I'm like, and this is why you are doing this job. And this is why I didn't end up becoming a police officer because I knew the empathy would have been too high. It would have been way too rough, but it is a different mindset, obviously. And needing to shift into that is especially true for people who are at work for really extended periods of time. It's not the normal eight to five or see a few clients come home. We have a different kind of time clock internally. So knowing your partner, whoever you're dating, their career will likely have an impact on how they're able to show up in the relationship and also how they love themselves and can love you. It might not be full cup every day. We might have to take what we can get some days and really be really appreciative for all that we can get the other days. Yeah, and that takes a lot of self-awareness to be able to recognize, like, number one, who your partner is and yeah. how they handle things, but also what they do for work and their mm -hmm. career path and the experiences they have. Can you put yourself in their shoes for a little bit? and just see like what their experiences might be and what level of empathy can you provide to them yeah. in that moment when they are stressed, when they are going through a hard time, when they need yeah. that level of connection, right? Yes. And what type of connection yes. are they needing? Because I know from all that I've studied with evolutionary psychology, men love like kind of what we talk about with like kids. It's called parallel play. I just want you to be around. Right. I eventually need to be interacting with you, but I like when you sit next to me on the couch while I'm watching my game or if you're upstairs doing whatever it is I just like being near you because I get recharged by that but for women we're just like I'm just here though like I'm not doing anything I'm not enjoying it necessarily by just being a presence but we don't realize like how easy that is for us I just have to stand there and put away my laundry or whatever else and that works for you okay and then, then I'll go do what I want to do so knowing what kind of connection it might not be that face-to-face, in-depth, emotional. It just might be that sheer presence of quality time and physical touch, just holding hands on the couch. That might be recharging enough too after that transition time we talked about. Yeah, I always encourage people, if you have a dog, go for a walk. Even if you don't have a dog, yes. go for a walk. Go kidnap a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Find a dog, <laughs> right. dog on a walk. If you don't have a dog, you probably yeah. should have one. It's just good yeah, for you all the way around. Yeah, you live with your life yeah. a dog. Agree. But, but it goes back to that parallel play where we're finally we're able to connect. We're outside. You don't even necessarily need to speak, but we're side by side. We're doing yeah. something. And that can yeah. also translate into maybe you guys are doing DIY projects or you're yeah. doing things around the house, but yeah. you're together. You're side by side. But that's also how men tend to communicate as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people understand that nope. we can sit in silence within yes. our own minds and be next to each other and still be communicating in a way. Yeah. And it's when we think about life positioning, like even in careers, we are often side by side or even with cubicles, there's still a, either a screen or an actual wall in a cubicle. You're on the phone. There's some sort of barrier most of the time. But when it comes to female communication, we are a lot more face to face. Eye contact is something that we're really big on because it lets us know like we're safe, we're engaged, we're involved. You're not focused on other stuff. You're focused on us. And that's sometimes threatening, often threatening to men, because when you think about the positioning of when you're often face to face, it's like serious meetings, sporting events when you're across from an opponent. It's not often the case or like in war when you're facing the enemy, like the eye to eye is sometimes really inundating and can be triggering in terms of that fight or flight response. So 
walk going on a walk or even sitting next to each other on the couch laying down and like looking at the clouds and talking you actually get more out of the person so again it's like what works for me might not work for my partner i like eye contact but i know sometimes it doesn't work for him it doesn't mean it's not he's not paying attention and i had to get over that obviously years ago i'm like studying men i'm like what I'm like, how many things did I mess up? Because I didn't know this and I wanted them to be like me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I owe so many men an apology for being like, why can't you be more like a woman? And now I've learned so much that I'm like, he gets to benefit so greatly from this. It's so easy. And, and that's a big part of it. Can we acknowledge and recognize the differences and be okay with that? Yes, hugely. And honoring the differences, not there are going to be some differences that are too great to overcome. And those sure. are usually the deal breakers that we discover in the beginning or the red flags that we look past. I love all of your reels. I was going to say the ones we ignore. <laughs> the ones where we're like, oh, that's so pretty and shiny. No. And I'll joke with my clients. They're like, well, I'm just stop painting it white. I'm like, put the paintbrush down, Picasso. Right. We're not going to be doing this. You're like, but what if? But th-? I'm like, you could go ahead. Honestly, I'm not dating this person. Go ahead. What if it does turn out that way? Let's play that out. I'll play the what if game all day. Oh, what if I it's can't. I can't? Oh, I always tell people, I'm like, you need to stop yourself right there. Wherever you put a what if, True. that's your sign or signal that, yep. okay, maybe there's something I need to pay attention here yeah. and actually reframe it or look at it in a but different way. what if they way. totally change their whole life and turn into who I want them to be? Or what if they learn to fly? Both have an equal <laughs> likelihood of happening. Yeah. It's knowing who your partner is. And there's a sadness, I think, when we have to come to terms with who our partner won't be or who they aren't. And that comes from our own desires, our own childhood stuff, what we saw growing up that we liked, that we want to recreate, what we saw that we never want to have recreated in our adult relationships or in our dating life. And knowing that's on us to do more of that self-work and that self-development and self-love. That's why I love this whole idea of this challenge, because you have to go inward as deeply as you know yourself, as as deeply as somebody else can know you if you allow them to and if you trust them to do. And there's healing in that. There's also sadness realizing my partner can't be everything for me all at once, nor would that be realistic. But at least in psychoanalysis, the lens I practice from, there's this one quote early on in my training that always stuck with me. And I'll probably butcher it, which I always do, but it's paraphrased that Deep down at the end of the day in every intimate relationship, everybody has this desire for your partner to almost be like a parent, that omniscient, omnipresent version where you can non-verbally communicate all of your wants and needs and get all of them met. Very similar to that parent-infant relationship where we don't have words yet. They have to interpret our cries and decipher and meet our needs. And depending on how well they meet them, all about attachment, that can yield in a different attachment style. But when we're looking at our partnerships, we all go, we all regress. We all go back to infancy and childhood. This is also where baby talk and pet names and nicknames come from. That like the toughest people in the world, when you get behind closed doors, like, who's my schmoopsy little boopsie? Like we all regress because it feels comfortable. Yeah, that's totally me with my dog. (laughs) Yes, I could see that, honestly. (laughs) That's me with my dog too. (laughs) They bring out that part of us though. We all have that desire. We want to be known. But we also want to be accepted. And that's that fine line that we walk of how much of my real self do I show from the beginning of a relationship so that I can be known and know the other. But I also might fear, what if they don't like me? When you go in and do the work and you like yourself, it's you're more neutral if people like you or don't like you. It also can relate to 
if you're more agreeable or not. So if you have a high trait agreeableness score, you're more of a people pleaser. Usually you want people to like you. You'll go with the flow more. You may be resentful. Somebody who's more disagreeable, me, I'm like, I, it's not like I'm uh, aiming for people not to like me, but I actually don't mind either way. If we work out great, if not also great, we're not going to waste each other's times. That in the beginning, you have to lead with who you really are, not who you think the person wants you to be, because eventually that mask is going to fall off and the person's going to be like, you've changed so much since the beginning. And we're like, yeah, I just showed up that way to get you. And now I can be my real self. It's like when the, all the memes and the reels where it's like the real crazy comes out after six or 12 months and the guy's, who the heck am I taking? And she's like, good, now I can be the crazy person I've been hiding. Like I was so chill in the beginning. And then she becomes neurotic. Let it fly from the start. There will be somebody out there who's interested in that from the beginning. I can almost guarantee it. Yeah, a lot of that stuff is so subconscious too, because it's just who we were taught to be. We, yes. we were taught to be people pleasers. So we show yeah. up. And then it turns into all my exes are avoidance. Yeah. They're all narcissists. They're all yeah. this particular thing. Yeah. They actually could have been a secure attachment and they are not used to your type of behavior, your type yeah. of needs, wants, and desires being pushed onto them. And, and so they pull away, they pull back. And now all of a sudden they have to be avoidant. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. No, they might be protecting themselves understandably. And if it is true that every one of your exes is whatever, avoided a narcissist first of all statistically it's impossible they're all a narcissist and you can't diagnose unless you have them in front of you obviously yeah. in your trade clinician there's so many caveats but if that is true and it's what nuanced. does that say about you like what it, what wound are you trying to heal what belief are you working from and if you think all men are avoidant or all women are anxious or what have you that will come true because the subconscious is so strong you will end up manifesting who you date as a representation of that belief and then when you can't fix them, can't change it, whatever, feel like a failure in, in rescuing yourself from this belief, then you blame it on them. You exit the relationship. It's their fault. They're the bad object. You have no fault in it. You don't have to change at all. And then you go on to the next one and you're like, maybe this will be different. If you're not doing anything differently in between, nothing's going to be different. Maybe the name, but really it's just brand loyalty at that point. If you want an avoidant or an anxious, there's a certain archetype you go for. What does that say about you? feels bad, but it also feels good because yeah. that's what we're used to. And I can mm -hmm. anticipate what's going to happen next. And I yeah. know what to expect. I know the script. Yeah, exactly. It's comfortable, especially if that's the script your parents followed or you followed with one of your parents, then you're really just recreating it in adulthood and it feels familiar. But what's familiar isn't necessarily safe or healthy or the best thing for you. If you don't, that whole phrase of in order for somebody else to love you, you have to love yourself. I know I'm paraphrasing that. I do think there is some level of truth to that, though, because if I don't know what love feels like and somebody tries to give it to me and I don't have a space carved out for it, one of my favorite papers, the title is you're giving me what I need, but I have no place to put it. What, where am I going to put it? If I don't know what love feels like or how to care for it, it's like when you hand somebody who's not a baby person a baby, they're like, thank you. And we're done now. Like, I don't yeah. know how to take it back because I don't trust myself with this. That's how people respond. I have seen in any way when someone tries to love them securely to your point and they're like, mm, this is too healthy. I'm going to sabotage it. This feels much better. Oh, help for me. No, I'm, I'm out. Thank you. Yeah, I need some chaos here. This doesn't feel good. Yeah, I'm going to pick a fight and then it's yeah. going to feel great. Yeah, that, that was one of the first reels, I think, because you showed up on my um, explore like for you, like, oh, pages you might like. And I was like, these are so good because back when I years ago was on Instagram. There was no cap cut like that wasn't a thing. 
So you had to basically cast yourself in the real and be the actors. And I've done some work like the anxious and the avoided, but the way that you pick the image, our brains work so similarly. I'm like, oh, dang, I would have thought of that too. That's so good. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What's great is I'm not a therapist. My background is in policing. My master's is in threat and response management. So imagine all things FEMA and natural disasters, emergency management. But doing the work that I did for as long as I did, you gain access to all these different relationship situations, we'll call them. And they're they're all different. They're all at different levels of society, social economic status, you name it. But there's a lot of similar problems along all of those lines. And so now you're in this place where, okay, I need to figure out how to navigate this stuff. So then you find these books. And so it's like divine timing that everything kind of cap cut came to be. And like all the people are putting these green screen things out there. And I'm just like, I think I'm... I think I'm funny. I can do something with this. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, that's the way to do it. That's how I was with like memes and then reels started. And then I think after you join in the, not a trend necessarily, but after you master a trend yeah. and you're like, oh, other people are doing it too. Yes. That happened where I'm like, oh, I felt like so much less pressure. I'm like, oh, I don't have to show up as much. Like delusional me being like, I have to show up because what if I'm the only one posting about this? And then I started following all these other pages and I was like, Good. There's more people out there that are purporting this. And no matter the background we come from, being able to do it with tact and humor, that's always been my thing. Because if you can't laugh at it, life's going to be really tough if you can't learn to laugh at yourself or if you can't find the humor in things. And that's my favorite thing to do is to be able to find that. Or even look back at my past. I'm like, what were you thinking? I was telling my brother the other day years ago with an ex and I'm like, I just wanted somebody who was edgy. He's Talia. He had knuckle tattoos. Okay, like there's a level of edgy where it's cool. There's a level of edgy where it's like he's probably an ex felon. And I was like, yeah. that's beside the point. Okay, well, it's just good to be able to laugh at ourselves. We are now concerned for your safety. <laughs> right? um, yeah. Threat level detective. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's interesting, though, because a lot of the people I've talked to now, whether they were first responders and then shifted into therapists or like they were therapists and then shifted out of it. The ones that I find that use the humor like I do also were first responders and I was doing law like I got all the way up to becoming a police officer and then I sent out my packet to be a therapist and I was like, all right, God, whoever I hear back from first, that's the one I'm going for. And it was like neck and I heard back from the board first, like a week before the department and I was like, okay. And I'm glad that I didn't end up choosing that path just because of the timing where it would have been like pre-COVID and all this stuff. I just, I think it wouldn't have been the best fit for me, especially being at that specific department as a female from what I saw unfold afterwards. I'm really grateful my path took me down this way, but I still have the like personality of like, it's the the justice, the this, the that, like the Enneagram eight, like very true to that. And as so many people I've talked to like, oh, I could see you as that more than a therapist. And I was like, I'm empathetic, damn it. I am nice and kind, but I'm like, I'll fight for my clients because I want them to be assertive. I want them to have that voice and speaking up for vulnerable populations is something that I'm very passionate about and having people find their voice and stand up for themselves is so huge. So the self-love piece is like perfect. Yeah. And the conversation I had with John Kim on our podcast was self-love. He doesn't like that very much. He moves into self-like, which is what you were talking about a little bit before. And I think when I started thinking about that, I'm like, I can't rename this self-like 21 days of self-like. So we're going to stick with self-love. But I understand where he's coming from. And it yep. certainly makes a lot of sense because we get up every day and we have a series of thoughts that are the same from yesterday, the week before, a month before, five years before, yep. whatever pattern you're currently on. And we get stuck on this negative thought cycle. 
And it's really hard to pull ourselves off of that. So you get up, you get out of bed, you go to the mirror, you see yourself. All of a sudden you're looking in the mirror. Oh God, I've aged. I got wrinkles. I've lost my hair. What's going on? And we just beat ourselves up and pound on ourselves. And the question is, why are you doing that? Why can't you find joy in the fact that, okay, yeah, I am a little bit older. Yeah, I have lost my hair, but you know what? I have earned every step of the way of this. And I'm proud of who I am. I'm happy with who I am. I like where I'm going. Mm -hmm. And so can we get to that place? And if somebody's struggling with getting to that place of accepting themselves and liking themselves, what's some guidance you would give to them? I I love the reframe too, because love can be even I just used it. Love has so many different definitions and meanings. Other countries, I think, have a leg up by having different words for different kinds of love. Every individual. Yes. Because we didn't grow up in the same household. Hopefully not. But that, like, that, that would be a little weird, right? Hopefully you didn't marry the person you grew up with. That'd be gross and illegal in both states. Yeah. And then you add attachment styles yeah. onto that and all this other stuff. There's so many layers yes. like, like an onion that you have to get yes. through. And yes. my definition is not going to be the same as yours. So when I say I love you, you're going to take it as your meaning of love. Yeah, I translate it with my lens. And then yeah. depending on my lens, that could be a positive or it could be a negative to your point about that cycle that repeats in those thoughts. What if love for me isn't safe? And that is something that could be used against me later or that people who loved me hurt me. So I learned that disorganized attachment narrative and that might not be safe. And so then somebody says, I love you. And we're like, thanks. And the person's, I don't think you heard me. I said, I love you. Usually the script goes, I love you too. And then we kiss and hug. If we don't have the same definition or we hadn't been vocal about it, which comes from being able to like ourselves to your first question, what advice would I give to people who are struggling to even like themselves? Let's start with neutral to positive statements, but neutral first, because if you're going from really entirely negative self-talk to positive self-talk, it's going to feel like BS. We can't just make that jump of I am shit. I feel good about feeling like shit. Like (laughs) you have to be realistic with yourself. Am I where I want to be? No. But do I think that I could get there with some help? Yes. This wasn't my best day, but tomorrow will be different. I didn't say better. I didn't say the best. Different. Using neutral to positive language helps shift you at least to a baseline that then we can grow from. So if you're struggling with incredibly low self-esteem, negative self-talk, low self-worth, we need to get you to a midpoint before we can get you to have high self-esteem, high self-worth. You have to believe that you're at least worthy of figuring out that you're worthy, like at a minimum. And then we can grow from there. And that's where therapy, the books behind you, coaching, other involvement from another person who can guide you and interrupt those negative thoughts is going to be crucial. Because if you're so in your head and people are like, I can figure it out. And so you would have by now. Not to be rude, but if that were the only, if you were stopping you, you would be out of your own way by now, but you're not. So you need to have somebody else interrupt and hear you and filter to your point out loud. Do you notice how negative that sounds? Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. I've just told myself that my whole life or should is another one when we should on ourselves. That pretty much stems from some story we got told when we were younger. I should do this. I should do that. And I asked my clients, I noticed you said should. Uh, how long have you felt that way? Or according to who taught you that? And then they'll think about it and they're like, oh yeah, there was that one time in kindergarten or sixth grade or whatever it was. And my teacher, or my parent or somebody's parent told me this and it just stuck as truth. And I never questioned it from that point forward. I said, you're a grown up now. And I think it might be beneficial for you to question it. What do you think? I offer them, obviously I'm not right. forcing them. 
And they're like, yeah, I can. I'm like, does it benefit your life to think that way? No. Okay. So here's some neutral to positive language you can use to change it. And that usually gets them into a more positive mindset. And it's a choice for the most part to have the negative mindset, unless you have like severe treatment resistant clinical depression. The other kinds of negative mindset is just you convincing yourself, like, I'm an avoidant, I'm a this, I'm okay. You could change though. Like, you're an adult. Your, your attachment style is fluid. If you really wanted to change it, you could. It might take a lot of work, but it's possible if you believe that it's possible. Otherwise, yes, you're welcome to being avoidant for the rest of your life or anxious or what have you. Yeah. And that's where those labels come in that we just love to put all over ourselves because then it allows us, I don't like to say excuse, but it allows us to maintain who we are and who we know ourselves to be. And, and again, it might not be the place you want to be, but you know what's going to happen. It feels familiar. Yeah. Yeah. There's a false sense of identity. And I think from Erickson's stages of developments, when we're looking at adolescence, identity versus role confusion. So 15 to 14, now adolescence goes till whenever the brain fully developed studies show now up to 25. Even higher. So I'm like, great. Oh, my, all my teenage clients are like, I have to wait till he grows up at 30. And I'm like, and sometimes even then it won't. And they're like, what? Like, I'm never going to date. So love that. No. Too. But you're looking at wanting an identity. And if you struggled to find yourself in adolescence or in early adulthood, that struggle doesn't end there because the chronological age changes. There's a part of us that lives inside that might continue to struggle with that. We might be 35 or 40, but feel like we're 20. I I don't have friends. I don't have a committed relationship. All my friends are bypassing me. They've hit all these milestones. Here I am. And then they'll hyper-focus on work sometimes as an offset to overcorrect where they feel lack in their personal life. Yeah, I did the same thing. And then I had to get serious. It's so easy to get there. So easy because of all the praise and accolades and awards and everything else that you're able to get and have filled that void, but it's temporary. It feels great, but it's also not the same thing as having a partner who you can come home to or who you can be there for or either end of the spectrum. I think it's difficult when we have that identity crisis, we reach for labels. And I, you see it all the time on social media. People put like their diagnosis in their bio. I'm like, what are we doing? We have fallen so far as a society. Yes. Is that a part of you? I'm not discounting that. But sometimes things can heal and it goes into remission. You don't have the symptoms anymore. You might change your mind on some of these identities. Like maybe don't label it and purport that because then when you try to change or be different, if people are like, oh, I'm such a people pleaser. Then when you start being assertive, the version of you that labeled as a people pleaser internally, the self-work is going to be like, excuse me, I worked very hard for five years to have this identity. You're not going to take it away from me. And then you have this inner battle where part of you that identified it as a certain thing is going to battle the other part of you that wants a new identity. And that's separate from the identity battle that you'll have with society. If you have to change, like being a first responder, there's a certain mindset that goes with that. And when you're more in like retired or your civilian life or what have, you might find yourself having to shift into that. No, I'm not on a call. No, I'm not talking to that kind of person. No, that's not my work skill might not make me great in my relationship. Talk about being a therapist. I had to shut down so much of that identity in a good way to be able to have a successful relationship because it wasn't serving anyone. Was I right about a lot of stuff? Yeah. But no partner wants to sit there and be analyzed for free. They're like, you're really creepily spot on about this, but I don't feel good about it. I'm like, no, No, honey, what you're actually experiencing is this. I'm like, and this relates because you're blah, 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 birth order, whatever. And they'd be like, 
okay, if you have me so figured out, then why are you dating me? And I'm like, that's a good point. Goodbye. Yeah. I just wrapped itself up. No, I, you're right. I, I clearly have some things that I need to work on. <laughs> probably stems from my childhood thing. For much. They're like a whirlwind, like yeah. with latch. Yeah. Thank you for being a mirror. I appreciate you. Person up into a good therapist. You're going to need one. Bye. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> so how can we navigate or understand if we're the ones that are emotionally unavailable? Ooh, okay. Switching I gears. Think, yes, yeah. I think emotional unavailability can stem from what was modeled to us or not growing up. Did we have a parent or both parents who were there for us who model, even using emotion language, do you feel sad? Do you feel happy? Were only positive emotions allowed in your household growing up? That's a big question I ask clients because so many of the times they're like, oh, I had a great childhood, except for as we work longer, yeah. fill in the blank. Because nobody really, unless you're in this new trend where everybody's blaming their parents for everything. Nobody really thinks back and wants to be rude or disrespectful or not align with their parents if they've held that narrative and there's still that kind of hierarchy in the dynamic. But we do have to be able to look back and go, where were my needs met and where were my needs missed? And if I had all these emotional needs growing up and I was shown that the person who is literally supposed to be there to model all this for me isn't available or able to give me that's going to be internalized and then I might find myself being emotionally unavailable because I never knew what it felt like to be interacted with in a way that somebody was available so knowing if you are uncomfortable with the negative emotions the big feelings how do you express sadness shame guilt any of the things that are more like touchy to talk about if you're only like oh I could be happy and angry we got to work on like the full spectrum and then you can be with other people and their emotions too. People who are emotionally unavailable usually are okay with the surface stuff, but when it starts to get deep, that's when they can be more avoidant. And that might have nothing to do with attachment. That might have everything to do with, I've never experienced this before. I don't want to fail you. I don't want to be criticized. Help. Like, I don't know how to help you with this. And so they'll pull away. And for somebody who is typically more expressive or anxious or what have you and they grew up in a household where they tried to get that emotional need met by being extra or chaotic or dramatic or demonstrative to, and that was rewarded then their brain goes oh I just have to do this and then I'll get my need met we all learned this in my view from our childhood so when we're yeah. struggling internally with our own emotional unavailability that's our work to do regardless of partnership status going to therapy and learning the basics what is sadness? How does it feel in your body? What are some triggers for it? How can you cope with it? Go be fluent in emotional language, and then you will start to see who you're interested in shift and change because you don't see it as a challenge anymore. You're not like, oh, this mysterious, aloof person. I never know how they feel. I never know how I feel. That just perpetuates that narrative of unavailability. To be with somebody who's fully available takes work. It takes self-work, and it takes work in the relationship to be like, Ooh, I'm being confronted again with this big feeling. How do we navigate through it instead of shut down in the face of it? All of that. <laughs> so how can we share or show some love to the avoidant? In my comment section, we always have people, and I'm yeah. sure this pops up in yours every now and again, but everybody wants to hate on the avoidant. It's easier to make them the bad object, yeah. Oh, it's so easy, yeah. right? How can we help those people that feel that way move away from those really harsh feelings that they have towards the avoidant? I like to 
it's usually the anxious ones who are the bashing of it because they're right. the recipients of if you would just be less avoidant then i would be less whatever intense and i used to be far more anxiously attached but as i got older as i learned more as i understood what secure attachment felt like i was i now have like flare-ups i call them like it'll flare up like once a year or like once every so often and i'm like ew i like feel 14 years old this is awful like i hate <laughs> this this is not fun at all knowing that the avoidant person is not soothed by what you are soothed by so this bashing of i'm just trying to love you i just want to be close to you why can't you accept that I'm because you're not speaking their language? So it's if you were yelling at somebody in Spanish and they only speak Portuguese, they can sense the intensity. Clearly, you're trying to communicate something, but it's not in a language they can receive or that they're fluent in, comma, yet. Doesn't mean they can't learn it, but you as the anxious might have to take many steps back to create space for this person to approach you. But if you're so anxious and you can't handle space because you think it means abandonment, you're going to magnet right to them. That's not fair to bash the avoidant person for protecting themselves and taking the space that they feel comforted by. You like this. Most anxious people are like, if I can do this all the time, I would love it. And the avoidance, I'll touch a big toe. I'm good. I'll be back for more later. Knowing that it takes time and patience and also the other person, the avoidant in this case, being aware that they are maybe having those tendencies or that the person they're going to be most likely attracting will want more than they're more than they're comfortable giving. And knowing that balance of how much can I give without abandoning myself or feeling like I'm being inundated or feeling like I'm being engulfed because that's the fear for the avoided. Yeah, yeah, what you want feels smothering, but for the anxious person, it feels soothing. So thinking about it, oh, oh, I didn't realize what soothes me smothers them. I don't want them to feel smothered. I want them to feel soothed. Ask, yeah. what would be helpful But, but for this you? feels so good for me. Why doesn't yes. it feel good for you? I, I, I don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. There's this lack of understanding because it doesn't feel familiar. And this almost tran- does transcend attachment styles. It really comes from what is that person's narrative and story around when someone gets close. If someone gets close and it feels like too much, they're not going to want someone to get close to them. If someone gets close and for the anxious, it's like a mix of sometimes it feels good, but sometimes it feels bad and I don't know which one I'm going to get. So I'll just keep pushing. That soothes you because it prevents the abandonment. Even if you're having negative interaction cycles, you'll still be interacted with. So it can actually feel physically painful. Oh, yes. And being engulfed on the avoidant side of things, because I've pendulum swung on both. I I visited both attachment styles over my many years. Now safely in the secure position. When I was avoided, when people would try and get close, I'm like, no, thank you. They're like, but I would like to be in a relationship with you and provide all these things for you, et cetera. And I'm like, but I feel like shit about myself, so I'm not going to allow that. And thank you very much. Goodbye. I'm not sure that I'm ready for this, what have you. And it would be very often the case. The next person they would date, they would end up marrying, having a family with. And audacity, I'm like, what the hell? Like, why didn't I get that? And then I had to call myself on it. I'm like, because I pushed it away because I didn't want to be because that looked like engulfment when they were offering it to me. But of course, on Instagram, it looks like, oh, well, this is the happy family. This is what we should all be doing. Because you're so, good luck, Chuck. Yes. Oh, I have good luck, Chuck. You're welcome to all the guys who ended up getting married. Yeah. And finding the person after me. My brother and I joke about that all the time because he has the same tendency. And right. then I'm like, what does that say about our child? But in our parents and how they bottled it. But that's a story for another podcast. So yeah, be, no. be understanding of the avoidant, what soothes you, 
might trigger them. And if you don't want to trigger them and you actually want to maintain a relationship with them, if you both can allow it and temper that, there's also the advice of early on in dating. If you're noticing that you're so anxious, you can't tolerate that, or you're like texting them five times in a row because they haven't texted you back, people have lives other than you. And you have to be okay that people have lives other than you if you're going to date. And I know it's shocking news, but you have to be okay with it because otherwise it's unhealthy and it's probably codependent and it's not going to last very long because what if they have something they need to go do and you're like, but my whole identity is centered around being your partner. Like you don't have a life. It's creepy. It's like you've almost given them Stockholm syndrome, which is not a healthy relationship. You get to, if they wanted to, they would really quickly with that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not healthy. No. And my whole thing for the, if they wanted to, they would. I, this is like last year. I remember I was like laying in bed thinking about it. I'm like, oh, this would be good. And I was like, but did they know they were supposed to? Did anybody tell them that they should be doing this? Or is this just something that you really wanted deep down that you never expressed to them that you think because of your scripts of relationships should happen in every relationship? And then you're blaming this person and they're failing a test. They didn't even know that they had that day to prep for what they were supposed to take, but they had to take it in a mechanical pencil, not a number two. There's just so many things where people set the other person up to fail or to be the bad object in object relations theory because it's easier. If I haven't accepted my bad parts, I am going to probably interject them, put them into another person because it's easier for me. And this happens in the parent-child relationship all the time. You bring something to your parent, hey, even if you're like, my childhood was a 10 out of 10, but if you could have done this even more, I would have loved it. I guess I failed as a parent. Uh, well, like, yeah. We shift into this defensive position of all bad because if the parent hasn't yet worked on themselves or the partner in the deeper parallel, if I haven't worked on myself to see I have both good and bad parts, if you call something out in me that I haven't owned about myself, I'm going to get defensive. I'm going to wall up and protect myself from seeing that part of me. And then I'm going to try and play hot potato and push it back on you because we haven't learned to integrate that. Again, to the self-like, self-love challenge, if you know yourself in all of your messiness, your shadows, your this, even if you haven't worked through all of it, but you're like, yeah, I'm aware I can be judgmental, bitchy, bossy, needy, this, whatever the seven dwarfs of all the things that you can be, and somebody else brings it up to you, it's not a threat anymore. You're like, yeah, and? If your deepest fear is that somebody's going to find out you have needs or that you can be bossy at times, you're going to do such a good job of hiding that part of you it's going to be screaming to come out and it's going to come out at the worst possible time. Both of you will be unprepared for it. And then the relationship usually ends shortly thereafter because both people feel blindsided. I didn't know I could still do that. And the other person's, I never knew they were like that. I wouldn't have picked them if they had shown me that from the beginning. And then the person's, that's not fair because I was afraid. It's like, you could have led with the fear though. Like lead with the vulnerability that is eventually uncovered after the fight, after the six months of dating. Yes, it's scary. But it does get less scary the more that you do it and you get to an authentic relationship without all the attachment shit on top of it much faster if you face that fear and you just let your free flag fly. Just yeah. be fully you and somebody will accept you. Maybe not the one you really want, but you also have to learn you can't always get what you want in a relationship or the hot unavailable guy might not be the best fit. You might end up going for the guy who's like the solid seven or eight in your book, but provides you all of these other things and looks fade and looks changed. Because I've looked back on people I've dated who I thought was like the hottest person in the world at the time. And I'm like, ew, what was that thing at the time? 
what when you when your tastes change you look back at previous people and you're just like yeah no i wouldn't go for them again because i know what's underneath i know what's under the surface now and that's part of the healing process as you go through and you do the work and you go to therapy and it's never just one thing guys so therapy is great and i appreciate you like that's wonderful go if it's available to you and you have and you want to do it however you also have to get out in the world and do other things physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You have to fill each one of those cups each yes. day. And yes. that's something that you determine for yourself. You have to figure that part out. Regardless of partnership status and especially have those things endure once you are in partnership. If you love oh. going to the gym, yeah. having, you know, walking your dogs, socializing with your friends, going to church, whatever, temple, spiritual, whatever, like that cup is filled, whether it's religious or spiritual, meditating. Don't stop those things simply because you are dating or in a relationship. Yes, that might modify. You might not be able to do it as much as you're doing it now, duh, because your time is going to be shifting. But don't, if you're passionate about something, don't let that passion go because that's one of the number one sided things of why people lose attraction over time. When I met them, they were into fitness, into this, into that. And then slowly over time, they just let their own desires go and they, you know, forced, they ended up letting go of things that were really for them for the person and it ends up having a negative impact on the relationship so don't let those things go because you think your partner wants more of you in fact many of the time your partner be like no please go do that go have girls nights guys nights go do of course it might look different like the activities you're doing might look different if you're all partnered or have kids or what have you but that time to yourself you will always be a self and i say this to couples i'm like I love that you want to be with them all the time, but what if they die? Like you want to, I'll go right to the what if game. What if your partner tragically dies in an accident tomorrow? What would your life look like? Obviously sad. I'm not saying anybody wishes this, but if you have no life for yourself, if you haven't been socializing, if you don't have your cups filled on your own doing, it's going to be incredibly difficult if your partner is not there in whatever sense of not there. On a business trip, they've passed away. They get sent out to a tour. If they're in the military, they're on a long mission of whatever if they're in law enforcement like there's going to be different times where they're not available to you when you have kids it's a huge shift in relationship you better make sure you're doing stuff for yourself because it's like you look at them sometimes and you're like i've never wanted a divorce more the next day you're like oh my god i love you i've never hated you at all it's such a wild hormonal shift like you want to make sure that you're giving to the self you will always be a self you may not always be actively parenting you may not always be actively partnering you will always actively be in yourself and you have to like yourself at a minimum. Love yourself, sure. If we can get to that, I'm all for it. But you at least have to not hate the person that you are or have such strong disdain that you don't want somebody else to get close to you. It's anti-fragility. It's building resilience. It's knowing that no matter what, you're always going to be okay. Yes. People don't like that phrase very much. I just lost all these things. How am I going to be okay? You have to recognize that, yeah, maybe you did lose some things over a period of time, or maybe it happened very quickly. There's going to be loss. There's going to be grief. There's going to be things that you're going to have to process and move through. But there's eventually going to be a time period based on past history of other challenges that you've overcome throughout your life that you will also overcome this particular challenge Mm -hmm. or process this challenge to get beyond that. Yes. And if there was a point in this person, this ethereal example, this person's life where they didn't have all those things they just lost. I like to ask them, what was your life like then? 
oh, I guess I was okay. I'm like, you lived for yeah. however many years before you met this person, had this job, had this friend, what have you. You will survive again as much as it feels like it won't. Set a timer for yourself. Wallow for two days straight. I'm like, I don't actually want you to have one positive thought. I just want you to just pity yourself. Like I assign them what they're trying to avoid. And they're like, I got through a day of it and then I felt so sorry for myself. I had to stop. And I'm like, yeah. Once you give yourself full permission to do what you have to stave off oftentimes because the real world has demands, it puts things so much in perspective because you're not denying those needs that your body has. And I always recommend what was the show recently with Jason Siegel, Harrison Ford shrinking on Apple TV. They all my clients texted me. They're like, oh, my God, did they consult with you for this? Because I've said to schedule crying for years. I'm like. You have to set a time for it. Like you need to set aside time for your emotions. And I will, I have a playlist that I call it sad bitch hour. And I play that when I need to cry. And it's very cathartic. It hits me at certain times, but there are times like with what we do for work, I'll have be really verklempt, very emotional with a client. I have to go see another client. It's not that I don't want to process it. I can't. Right. So I time it and then I go home and on my drive home, I start the tears and then I cry for 15 minutes in my driveway before I come home. And then I'm a person again because I told my brain, hey, I'll get to you. But if we're not consciously shelving it and then pulling it off the shelf, we're just suppressing it, which is that active goal of I'm just going to shove it so far down like an emotional trash compactor. It's got to go somewhere. We saw Wally. Okay. Nobody wants to end up with their emotional landscape just being garbage the whole way, just neatly packaging it like you have to address it along the way, even if it's scheduling it for later. Now, is that something you could also use with your kids as far as setting a timer or a time frame with them to process emotions? Yes. So when, depending on their age, the ability to notice or regulate or even feel comfortable having a feeling is going to change. Ideally, as they get older, they do more of the work. Setting aside time also for you as the parent, because if we're not self-regulated, we can't help another person regulate. So being able to let them not cry it out like shoving them in a room, but earplugs are phenomenal. Noise canceling headphones, I have them in all the time just in case because kids cry. It happens. That's how they express. We're all born with the primal instinct we need to survive. Even we cry when we get overwhelmed as grownups. Let the tears flow if they come or that frustration, just let it out and hold them. Oftentimes, if they want that closeness, hold them. Same thing with our partners. Again, lots of parallels with the parent-child relationship. Yeah. And you can see as you start to breathe and you be that lighthouse for them, they learn no emotion is too big that it's going to be their undoing. It's okay to have whatever feeling you want. We can't always behaviorally act on it. We can't hit. We can't hurt ourselves. We can't. But you can scream. You can cry. I will hold you. I will always be here for you. I will always love you. And imagine how soothing that would be to hear that from a partner also. So that parallels, especially with kiddos. Yes, setting a timer for that. Of I want you to scream and cry and whatever you need to do. And I'll be right here. And let's go for five minutes. And oftentimes you'll see after three or so minutes, they're like, okay, obviously at age appropriate, I wouldn't do that too because the <laughs> neurons are not fully wired. So they might work themselves up too much. But as they get older, if they know I've always had a safe place to express my emotions, what a good preventative factor to ensure emotional availability as they get older because nothing was ever shamed out of them. Oh, man, just imagine. That would be awesome. Yes. So let's go back to dating for a second. Yeah. What are questions that you can ask before you start dating somebody? Yourself or the other person? Questions to ask yourself? Both. Both? Okay. Yeah. Uh, questions to ask yourself. 
And if this is mainly if you have had a recent relationship, can I drive by places I went with my ex? Can I listen to songs that I listened to with them without becoming so overwhelmed? I pull myself back mentally into the relationship. So it's just a good litmus test of if you can get through some of your songs together or go have a meal at your restaurant or whatever. And you're like, I'm okay. That's usually a good sign that you're ready to start dating again. It doesn't mean you have to have no feelings, but if you're like, you hear two notes of the song and you're already in tears, probably not a good time to start <laughs> dating. Do I know the parts of myself for the self questions? Do I know the parts of myself that I want to be appreciated for, that I want to give and be recognized for in a relationship? I like cooking. I have acrylic nails. I love giving scratches and rubs. Do I want a partner who can appreciate that? And can I find that? And also, what am I willing to accept? What am I willing to receive? What do I want to get from my partner? And what do I want to give to my partner are some of those questions. What's my purpose of dating? Do I want just a fling? Do I want a long-term relationship? Do I want that long-term relationship to be called marriage? Do I want it to be called partnership? There's a list of 10 to 12 questions that I give to my clients when I work with them. It's purely intrinsic. They ask some of those, what do I want to get? What do I want to give? Who do I want to be? Who do I not want to be? And then the difference being, what am I willing to do? And what am I wanting to? Willing is if you ask me to, and it's not my thing, sporting games, whatever. Clearly, I'm not a sports person. I love playing them, but I don't love watching them necessarily. But if that's important to you and I love you, I'll go. I'm game pending how I'm feeling and if I'm able to go, absolutely, that will make a priority in my life. I'm willing to do that. What I want to do, though, is go on a hike with the dogs, whatever else. So right. the desire might be different. So it's the if they wanted to, they would. Did they know they were supposed to? Yes. Okay. If they're willing to go do that for you, willingness is the number one trait I look for in a relationship. Willingness to get through anything, to have the talks, what have you. Unwillingness, just the buck stops there. It's not really going to work. And then when you're on the first date specifically, asking them some general, this could be first date, doesn't have to be waiting. Like, how do you like your family? Are you close to any family members? How would you, if you could describe your childhood in three words, you can pull some of the therapy questions out and use them because it does make a difference. If you're wanting somebody who values family, please ask those questions on the first date. If you're just wanting a fling, you don't really need to know about their family history on the first date or the first hangout or whatever it might be. So get clear on your purpose and that will help you to know what questions to ask and be genuinely interested in who they are as a person as well as their hobbies. Do they like work? That's another one with a lot of the women I work with. You have to make sure that the guy that you're with at least is okay with his job. He can't hate his job because if his job is emasculating him, he's going to come home. He's not going to feel like he's in his masculine and it's going to show right. up in the relationship. He at least has to like it. It doesn't have to be his huge passion in life. But if he's, yeah, I make good money and it's not the worst thing, perfect. But if you have somebody who's, I hate my job, it's the grind, it's the worst thing ever. I'm married to it, but I can't stop because I'm trying to make partner and they're miserable. They're not going to show up in their masculine for you in those other ways. That is something I give advice. And same thing for guys. If you want a woman who works, then find somebody who actually goes to work and has that passion. Even if it's a side hustle, you can have her be the stay at home and take care of you, her, but you still want her to have the ability to provide for herself should push come to shove or should she want to go work out of the house once the kids are old enough. I think knowing what is on the horizon is very important. And if you're finding somebody who's like, I never want to work a day in my life and you're like, hard work is the most important thing, probably a deal breaker from the beginning, honestly. Right. 
no matter how hot they are, that's not going to change. Yeah, I think people don't often have realistic expectations of relationships in general. And we put our we put ourselves in these really difficult positions. And I will say, if you're only out for a fling, be careful how you treat that fling. Yes, because you are going to be more like yourself in that those first moments. Guess what's going to happen? The other person's going to be super attracted to that because you're showing up as you. Yeah. Be careful how you show up. And if you're Uh wanting if you want to just be casual, be honest about that from the beginning. If you want to be more serious, be honest about that from the beginning. It's so much easier and it's kinder to yourself and the other person. Is your goal to be in a relationship with the specific person who has these traits or is your goal just to be in a relationship? Because you could cast anyone in that role. I always joke, I'm like a relationship is just settling away. Just have no standards and settle everything and then you'll find one. But most people don't just want somebody They want to be with a person who really embodies what they're hoping for, what they want to give and receive, and be patient with that. And not everybody you find so hot, biologically, we're very driven to further the species, whether you ever want to have kids or not. It's not a traditional hill that I'm going to die on necessarily, but some people don't understand that's still our drive. Like the hottest person, the one who could further your genes is usually the one that you're like, oh my God, I must. That might not be the person that you partner with. They may be a good partner to procreate with if you practice, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the person that you go the distance with and being able to understand there's going to be some limits. Yes, there's going to be some sacrifices, but there's also going to be some great gains on the other side of those sacrifices. As long as you're not sacrificing yourself as a person and it's more compromising on certain topics. Man, I feel like that's how we get into these loveless marriages where... You wanted this really amazing relationship. You wanted to have kids with that particular person. And maybe you did. But then you hit 35, 40, 45, and you're married to somebody else who is not that person. So now you feel like you settled because I had this one thing that was absolutely amazing. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out in the long term. And now I'm here and I feel like I'm settling for this relationship. And it's just, okay, cue the resentment, Mm -hmm. right? And horrible experiences because you're not willing to work with this partner on this relationship you're still stuck in the past yes expect them to change and that's the blessing of being in a relationship that's long term you get an opportunity to fall in love with your partner again and again and choose that relationship again and again if it's meant to be and if it's healthy obviously there are times where people grow apart mental illness develops we bury children we bury parents like we do change into versions of ourselves that maybe can't sustain but if we give it a try, at least if we have the willingness to attempt it, we will know if we do leave, I gave it my all. Or if we do stay, I'm so glad I gave it my all. Either way, we slice it. Yeah, I always tell people, do you use the language of a shared mission and vision? Yeah. And I can guarantee you, most people do not do this. They do not sit down and come up with a short and long-term plan or goal for you two as a couple and then as a family and then what experiences that you want to have throughout what time you have left on the planet how do you want to spend that time together are we building something together and yeah man just imagine if people could get to that place and be okay with having those types of conversations yeah unlimited opportunity so the other thing you talk about is net worth so let's dive into that for a second this will be the last thing that we dive into and then we'll talk about the services that you offer. Okay. So when I talk about self-worth and net worth, what we feel capable of receiving in the monetary way 
often translates to what we feel capable of receiving in like the self-like, self-love, just affiliative feelings for ourselves way. So the more that you work on repairing your self-worth and you do not see work as a self, I learned to give and receive freely. And I learned to have a relationship with money that is welcoming, that is non-shaming, that like we can't expect money to show up for us or have a high net worth if all the time we're like, you're never there for me. You never show up when I need you or you only show up when I need you, but you can't handle it. Like imagine your relationship with money is like a real person. Think about how you talk to it. And that usually changes the game for a lot of the business coaching clients that I work with where they're like, oh, I never realized it is like a real, it is a real relationship. So the more that you I love you that, so much, don't ever leave me. Yes, I love <laughs> you. I'm here for you. Let me know how I can best provide for you. I want to save you. I want to spend you. I want to give you to places that you'll feel loved. Like I think changing the narrative around money and net worth really does help. And that starts, in my view, that starts with healing the self-worth and not using money as a tool to be like, oh, I make this much. I feel this good about myself. I would like to feel this good about myself regardless of how much I'm making. Sure. Is it easier to feel better about ourselves when we have something that we're passionate about and we're making money at? Yes. But there is beauty and the struggle in the beginning where we're trying to get this thing off the ground that we know that's really going to be purposeful. Your timing might not be the timing of when this is supposed to take off. And if you're just like white knuckling, full throttling it and being like, this will work, it's forcing things rarely has it work well. In my opinion, <laughs> it really does go back to just knowing that no matter what, you're yeah. going to be okay. Yes. I made a transition from one career into this. And with this, there's a lot of unknowns, but yep. I trust myself yeah. enough to know that I have all this evidence behind me of things that I've done throughout my lifetime that have built me up. They've made me stronger. They've made me capable. I now have all this. I have business acumen. I have all these different skills. They're going to allow me to continue to do what I'm doing. Now, am I making the money that I want to be making? No, not yet. But I recognize that yet part because I know yeah. that I'm going to be okay. Yes. And so yeah. that just takes time. It takes effort and that consistency. So you have to continually give yourself the evidence that these things are going to happen for yourself. Yeah, but yet, that's the perfect yeah. word add-on. It's not happening yet is much more motivating than it's not happening. Tell us uh, about your coaching and how people can reach you. Yes. So Instagram is where I am at most active at Talia Bombola. I'm also on TikTok. I have my social media person who helps me with that. So I'm not as active. If you've ever messaged me on there, I'm sorry. I never log in. That's not where my place is. And then my coaching services are taliabombola.com. If you need dating coaching, relationship coaching, whether you're trying to find one or you want to not blow up the one that you're in, I can help you with that. And then business coaching or mentorship as well for how to ride those waves of entrepreneurial mindset, how to shift out of wanting your side hustle to be your main job. It, I come at it from that perspective of self-worth and self-esteem. Let's make sure you are solid and that you're not over-serving in your business as a way to correct some sort of codependent tendency that you have internally, that you already are good enough just as you are. And let's operate your business and your relationships from that mindset not necessarily out of lack, but out of love, out of and out of if it hasn't happened, it's a matter of yet. Talia, I can't thank you enough for being here with us today, sharing your experience. And I know you got to get going. So have thank a great you. day. Thank All you. Right. I really appreciate it. We'll Take do care. Yeah. Right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you.